back once again. This is Dennis from the Blue Corner, and today is a special episode. Why, you might ask? We finally made it to episode number 50. Like, I, I don't know. I, I See, if we weren't in lockdown, and, and we are in freedoms now, but like if we weren't in lockdown, I probably would have organized some streamers and everything that they pop off in the background and, you know, make, make a bit of a spectacle, but uh, it is what it is. Um, you know, uh, as I just mentioned, we are, oh, well, half of us are, uh, are finally seeing some freedoms here in New South Wales. Um, you know, it's been a long journey back, but uh, it is what it is. But let, let's get cracking. And, um, you know, uh, today's guest actually comes from uh, north of the border. So, um, you know, he's a pro uh, boxer with a record of 12 and 2, I believe. Um and uh, I don't know if it was the start of this year or last year, uh, end of last year, he, he took on a, 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 a pretty big fight uh, on, on, I think it was seven days notice. Um, and, I'm, and I must say that, uh, you know, out of the 12 wins that he's garnished, he, he, 11 of them have been via knockout. So in other words, you don't want to fuck with him. Um, anyway, I'm talking about none other um, than the Viking himself, Stevie Sparks. How have you been and, and how are things up in Queensland? Yeah, mate, I've uh, been unreal, you know, the fight back there with um, Timmy back in July. Obviously, like you said, you know, I took that fight on um, six days notice and obviously, you know, most of my fights in my whole career have been at super lightweight, which is, you know, two whole weight divisions down. So stepped up a fair bit of weight and, um, you know, but did that one for the Australian boxing fans, you know, after Zarafa pulled out. So, you know, I hold my head high and have no regrets on that one at all. And, you know, mate, on the whole thing here in Queensland, you know, we're very lucky um, with the whole COVID thing. And, you know, I think up here we're all feeling for a bit for you down there and how long you've been in lockdown in Melbourne and stuff. You know, it's it's pretty unreal. Um, a lot of people here, you know, probably don't really recognise what you guys have been going through and how tough it's probably been for you. So, you know, in the Sunshine State here, mate, we've been very lucky. And I have to ask though, because I mean, they always say for for every door that shuts, another one opens. I kind of feel like this is the opposite right now. For for every door that opens, another one shuts. Because um, the 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 latest kind of news is that um, um, speaking of Tim Zhu, he he he's looking for a new location um, for for yeah. his next fight. Because it, it seems that now that everyone's reopening, when I say everybody, I'm talking about obviously New South yeah. Wales. I'm talking about Melbourne. Um, it seems that. You guys are potentially closing now. Is is that what's happening, or, or what what's the deal with that? Well, you know, there's so much up in the air there with that, and I think I kind of always had an inkling they would move the fight once things um, opened up with New South Wales, and it's one of those things with Queensland. It's not that we're closing down; we're just we're, we're making it impossible for people to come in here, you know, from New South Wales. So I think they're having a bit of trouble with um, the whole quarantine with people coming in and overseas opponent, um, with the Japanese follower and stuff. So. You know, it made more sense to them at the moment. New South Wales, you know, their rules and regulations on bringing people into the state um, and, and letting them out is a lot easier. So I think it's more so on the fact of people coming into Queensland. So I don't know. I'm, and I'm supposed to be fighting in December sometime, which I dare say will probably be in New South Wales. So, you know, there's going to be things to sort out over the next couple of weeks and um, what happens there. It's weird, right? I kind I kind of feel like is that a money thing? Because I mean, obviously Queensland had no problem in taking this like the state of origin. It had no problem taking the NRL, I, and it had no problem hosting the finals as well, right? So it, do do you think it's a because you would think something like a Tinsu fight would bring enough money in, in into the state, but like what what do you think it could be? I don't know. You know, there seems to be a lot of politics involved with uh, you know sports like NRL and um, AFL and stuff and 
you know, boxing sort of still a little bit of that, you know, that outcast board compared to those ones with TV rights and stuff. So, you know, I'm not too sure what's going on there. But, you know, I, it's a hard thing with the COVID. You know, you, you want everyone to be safe and you want the health and regulations to be followed. But, you know, we also sort of want to get on with, with sports and life and jobs. And, you know, there's so much more at stake than just sport. But, you know, we all kind of want to get back to normality. And, you know, they're saying that's with vaccination rates and stuff. So if that's how it has to go, then that's how it has to go, I guess. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, that that's why so only half of us have got our freedoms at the moment down here is um, they, they've opened up as of Monday, but uh, only for people that have been double vaxxed. So basically, if, if you, you know, don't... You know, I think it's it's such a touchy topic on that, you know, because uh, I feel like someone myself who, you know, say I chose not to get vaccinated or I did get vaccinated, the person who hasn't, you know, why should they be punished for that decision, you know? Um, it's hard, you know, you're losing, it's discrimination against your own rights on being able to do something and um, you're segregating the people and having a big divide there and creating a lot of um, different animosities between people. So I don't know. I just want to see everyone be safe and the, and the world get back to normal. You know, you look at America and you look at that Fury fight the weekend and how many thousands of people are there and, and in the UK and, and events are going ahead. You know, I'd love to see Australia back to that and thriving again. No, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the one thing that I've said is is the thing that annoys me is that it really has put a divide in people. Um, and, I, and I'm the same. I'm like, look, I said it last week. I don't care if you get vaccinated. I don't care if you don't yep. get vaccinated. I think you yep. should have that choice, but then live with your choice, right? So for instance, if you don't get vaccinated, yep. you end up in hospital, don't cry afterwards. Like, I, I, I think yep. you should have the choice. Um, it should totally be up to you, but whatever you choose, then then live with that uh, thing but yeah I, I i'm the same mate i the divide is is and look and and it's been from the from the very get-go because i remember when this pandemic first started right it was like i couldn't believe the fights that people were having over toilet rolls and and, and things like that and and, <laughs> and 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 that was the thing mate, i said back yeah it's it's the thing yeah, that it's, I said it's, back then. Yeah. it's the thing that i said back then was literally is I can't believe that we're so divided again. It's like, you know, you have one person that's got like a, a shopping trolley full of toilet paper. You have an old lady kind of go, can I just have like two rolls? And they're like, no, it's like every man yeah. for themselves. It was crazy. Yeah. And on such a silly thing like toilet paper, I don't understand it. Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's um, brought out some funny things, this whole um, COVID pandemic and stuff. Like I said, I just want to see the world get back to normal and everyone be happy and, yeah, so hopefully we can look for brighter days next year. And so, I mean, just uh, we'll move on soon. But like, how how has it affected you? Um, I guess with with uh, your your boxing career, like, because I, I I don't even know. Like, have you guys had any sort of lockdowns? Like, because over here, um, yeah, we we did. You know, when when COVID first hit back, when it first come, I think it was about March or April or whatever it was. Just you know, yeah, mid March or something like that. And I was meant to be fighting May. May sometimes against Terry Tazamas, who is um, from down in Melbourne way. And obviously, you know, COVID hit and, and um, you know, we couldn't even go to the gym and, and anything like that. So, you know, I, I had that fight got cancelled and I was talking to my trainer and I wasn't really in the gym for about maybe two or three weeks. Obviously, I was trying to do as much as I could at home and one of my, you know, mates was coming at home and he was helping hold pads. I mean, I was just doing what I could, but obviously, you know, you're so unsure back then everyone was so unsure what was going to happen and then we were actually the first ever professional boxing back in australia my trainer actually put a fight on for me um in smithy's gym in our gym 
um, when restrictions lifted here in Queensland and we could have 100 people within a room. So we had 100 people in the gym. Most of them were my great sponsors and, and friends and family. And it was really good. I was able to have, you know, a first fight back. And I think it was July last year. So we were the first fight back in Australia, professional boxing. I think we had four fights on. Um, and I fought a good opponent in Michael Whitehead, who was also a Queenslander. So I made it very easy. And, you know, they just said, yeah, we're willing. We'll, we'll put our head down and work hard and, and make this happen and be fit and ready. And, and look, the, the show turned out really good. And we live streamed that, um, you know, across the world. And yeah, mate, it was a great success. And I was very happy to, you know, get that fight away. Um, and then, you know, I backed up again straight away in November. We were really lucky. Like, Queensland sort of, um, their rules and regulations with the, how many people you can have a room in that were, weren't too harsh. And I think it was, um, it allowed us to keep going with the um, professional boxing. And yeah, I, I had that fight against um, Kieran Cronin where I won the WBC um, Australasian title and, and finished last year. And I, I was pretty happy with the year. You know, I had two fights for the year, two great wins and, and kept moving through the rankings. And um, and obviously in April, I had the fight with Jack Brubaker, which I stepped up to welterweight. So, and then, you know, the fight with Tim Zhu, I mean, if COVID wasn't around, I wouldn't have got that fight with, uh, you know, with Tim because of, you know, Michael Zarafa pulling out due to COVID reasons. So you guess it could sort of say it's been a blessing in disguise for me. You know, I put my put my head down and worked extremely hard. I know there's a lot of fighters throughout the COVID who, who probably let it slip and and they, um, you know, it's, it's been a very hard from of course, you know, but, you know, the ones that put the work in and, and behind the closed doors, you know, when boxing first opened back up, there was a lot of huge upsets, you know, in the UK and they were doing those behind the closed doors shows and the ones at Abu Dhabi, all these different fight nights. There was so many upsets happening because of, you know, the fighters who, who continue to put their head down and work hard or the ones that didn't and let it slip. So I think it showed the ones who wanted it and the ones who didn't. But I have to ask, do you, do you, do you 100% believe that that was the uh, real reason Sarafa pulled out of that fight? Do you think it was just due to COVID reasons or, or because obviously... And look, I, I don't want to put anything bad on Sarafa either, but like, you know, some people have spoken, they kind of went, that that was a ticket to to kind of like move that fight and, and maybe try to get it at a later stage or whatever. And as I said, I mean... Just see the... Mate, I was from Queensland and I hopped on a plane the next day and flew straight down. You know, like, come on. If you wanted to be there, you'd be there. And I don't know things with about his team going there. There was a... I guess from their side, it was like, oh, but what if this happens? What if this happens? You know, worry about that bridge when you get there, I think. You know, I just thought, stuff this. Like, th these are the sort of opportunities you jump at. And if he wasn't willing to, you know, uh, put it all the chips down on the table, and I was. And and you look at, mate, a lot of these fighters are going into quarantine for two weeks. Look at Liam Wilson's opponent. Who fought on that same card? No, no, he come over and quarantined in a room by himself for two weeks. Didn't have any trainers in his room number two weeks before that fight. Now, that's a man who's come here to win. And he did. And he went out there and beat Liam Wilson, one of our... You know, hottest prospects. So, would have Zarafa quarantined in a room for two weeks if he had to fight Tim? No. You know, so I guess it just shows how bad do you want it. You, you know, if you're searching for every single thing to be perfect and right, it's never going to happen. You know, you're going to have injuries. You're going to think have things that go wrong and in training camps. But at the end of the day, it's about who gets in that ring and fights. Nice and and how did that fight come about for you? Like, was it was it a case yeah. of was it a case of you heard Sarafa pulled out and you put your hand no, out, I, or, or or did they contact I you? I was at my day job. I, I work at a pub part time. I, I train people PT, and then I also work at a pub on the weekends or during the day. And I was at work, and I was getting a call from Brendan, my trainer manager, and 
I was like, oh, this is weed. What do I call me? And picked it up, and he uh, he asked me, he's like, oh, how's your hand? And because I had a bit of a hand injury from the um, Brubaker fight, and I said, oh, it's all right. We hadn't been doing much. I, you know, I always said I, I don't want to come on and ever make excuses about for that fight, but you know, I, yeah. Anyway, I had a little bit of a hand injury. I said, oh, it's all right. And I said, why's that? And he's like, oh, is it good enough to fight Tim Zhu? I said, what do you mean? He's like, mate, I don't think Zarafa is going to go. I said, you're kidding. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, they rung me and asked if you wanted to fight. I said, uh, right, I'll give you a call back in five minutes. Uh, I told my boss, I said, oh, look, this is the go. I, I said, I've got to go to the gym and speak to my manager, trainer. And I rang Brendan back. I said, I'll see you at the gym in about five minutes. So I drove back to the gym and we had a chat for about 20 minutes. And yeah, we made the decision, rang him back and said, yeah, we're, we're keen on it. And they said, right, oh, well, we give you a call this afternoon, let you know if you've got it. And now they put a Facebook post up, you know, about three different fight or four different fighters on there. Me, my, uh, myself, Benny Marnie, um, Andrew Hunt, and someone else They're asking, you know, who would be the best to fight Tim Zhu on late notice as Rafa's not fighting. I just commented on there. I said, forget the other three. I'm the man for the job. You know, I'll fly down tomorrow. I'll do this. Like, I'm, I'm not worried. And yeah, I think that was a big swear on also them making the decision. And then, yeah, Brendan said, if we get the contract this afternoon, we'll have a train then. And, you know, so. Um, yeah, he said we got the contract and signed it, and yeah, that was it. Six days later, I'm down there. Nice, and and I did see on your Instagram, um, you did a post, and I'm not sure if it was before or after the fight, but the the caption to it was um, "risk better than regret." Um, do you do you remember yeah. that post, and what what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I just thought to myself, and I was sitting there, and. I knew for a fact if I was sitting here now and someone else had taken that fight, I'd be thinking, what have I jumped in there? You know, I could have caught Tim with a shot or, you know, I'm known to be a big puncher and, and boxing's a sport of kings. It's, you know, it's a sport of opportunity. You know, I think, you know, people like Manny Pacquiao and these fighters like this, they, they jumped in there for so little money just to feed their family and, and, and stuff like that. So I thought, why not? Go down there, have a crack. He's just a man. He's got a... He's got a heartbeat, two hands, two legs, just like me. He wakes up in the morning the same as me. So, you know, I fear no man at the end of the day to get in there and have a fight. You know, what's the worst that can happen? So I thought, stuff it. I'll go down there and, and, and seize this opportunity with both hands. But I guess I, I guess the, the, the risk there is, and we spoke about this before we, we jumped on the podcast, is obviously in boxing, those those, those L's do, do set you back a little bit. Like, was that ever a thought process or... Were you just like, no, because obviously it is it is a mammoth task. I mean, you jumped up not one but two weight classes. Yeah. Um, you, two you weight take, classes, yeah. you, You're taking it on seven days. Like, not not to say that you accepted the fight. Not, not to say that you accepted the fight with a, uh, an excuse already built in. But, like, did that – like, no, what, what, what was the thought process, I guess, um, I guess taking that fight, knowing that boxing is so harsh, as we spoke about, with, with having a, a, a loss on your record? Yeah, I guess obviously, like you said, already having that loss on your record kind of takes away that feeling of, I guess, losing a fight after that too. That monkey's off your back, you know, in a way. You've already lost a fight. So I guess once you lose a fight for the first time, it's kind of like, oh, is that what it feels like? I don't know. It's a, it's a strange feeling to it. When you haven't lost before and then you do, it, it's it's kind of like a, a thing of relief sometimes because that's out of the way now and, and you kind of just don't give a shit, to be honest, anymore after that. You know, not that I obviously ever want to lose a fight. You know, after that fight, I was so determined that first, you know, that first fight I ever lost back when I was 18. 
after that, I knocked everyone out. I, I come through the ranks. I won the Queensland title. I won the Australian title. I was knocking everyone out. No one was going the distance with me at Super Lightweight, you know. So, and and I guess, like you said, weighing up the things of I'm stepping up to weight classes. Um, I'm taking this fight on six days' notice. The way I looked at it was it was a win-win situation for me. I got a huge payday as well. To me, it was I feel like I'm going to gain more from this either way. You know, I was going down there to win, and I only had I said I only got the fitness for three years. So I was like, either he's getting knocked out in three, or I am. You know, that's what I had in me, and that's what I took into the fight. Was I believe it was a win-win situation for me, no matter what. So I went down there with that attitude, and I gave it a red-hot crack, and also, you know. For me, it was for the Australian boxing fans too. You know, everyone was look look at the flack that Zarafa cop just for what he did, and look at the praise I received for doing what I did. And I think that's what it's about as well. It, it's about being brave, and it's about setting good examples for my kids to come, and and my friends and family, and everything like that. It's about being brave. I'm setting those good examples, and you know, tackling every task you have in front of your head on, and and just going for it. That's what life's about. And if you if you fail, dust yourself off and go again. You know, I've always said I've been a big fan of Paul Gallon and his attitude and his mindset. You know, he's like, you know, as we get older as adults, everyone's so quick to pull everyone down. And, and we have such a tall poppy syndrome here in Australia. You know, we should be getting behind people a bit more. And I seen a post last night on Oz Boxing about Jai Opatayas has been mandated for the IBF world title. And I, I commented on there, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's too soon. It's this. He's going to. And I was like, you know, Australian boxing fans are the hardest to please because if, you, if you're building your record slowly and you're gaining that experience and, and you're taking your time, everyone sees you fighting bums and you're cherry picking, you're doing this, you're doing that, right? You take a jump early in your career and you fight for a world title or you fight a world-class opponent, everyone jumps on there and jumps on your neck and says, it's too soon, he's going to get destroyed, he's going to get hurt. You know, we need to be a bit more patriotic. I look at the English and I look at the Irish and all of them. You know, they're behind their fighter no matter what. Like, Conor Maria can do anything and these countrymen are always behind him no matter what he does, you know. And I feel like Australia needs to be more like that for their fighters and their sports people, you know. We're going in there to risk it for the entertainment of the fans, you know. We're risking our lives every time we step through that ring. And I would just love to see the fans be behind us no matter what, you know, no matter how big the task is or how small. Just respect what we're doing and the fact that we're getting in there. I like what, you know, Tyson Fury said. He called it, you know, blood money. What we're doing is blood money. We're getting in there to get paid and, and we're losing our own blood and, and losing our senses and losing everything about ourselves just to earn a bit of money and, and for the entertainment of the fans. So, you know, a little bit more respect and support and patrioticness would be good for the fans, you know, so. I mean, it's half the reason that I started this podcast is, is, is literally that. I, I just felt that, you know, unless you're a champion of whatever it is, whether it's boxing, whether it's, um, you know, mixed martial arts. Um, you're just not getting the, 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 the platforms that I, I felt that, you know, you as combat athletes deserved. And, and that was half the reasoning from creating this whole podcast, right? But uh, yeah. a, quick, a quick question, though, because you did mention um, that you're a fan of Paul Gallen. Um, my question to you, though, is because so you don't have a problem with with the crossover stuff because, and I only say that as obviously he's, he's had some success, but you know, when, when we're in this, this era now where you have that, and I mean, the the big one is the, the Jake Paul fiasco or whatever, but when you have these crossover people, you have two, uh, two minds. And the, and the first is like, it's disrespectful to people like yourself who have really like 
given up their whole life for the sport and they that's all they've dedicated their life to the sport and that's all they've done um and then you have the other people that are kind of like well it brings more eyes to the sport that we love so and it in, in a lot of cases as well it it, it raises the uh pay grade um so there's there's a positive there too so you have no problem in in this crossover kind of what we're seeing right now you know it's people call it a crossover at the end of the day but Paul Gallon's a full-time athlete. That man is 100% a full-time athlete. And you, and you look at Jake Paul, right? And even him, he's an athlete and he's been putting in the hours and you can clearly see that. Like he's, he beat, you know, Ben Askren and he, and he you know, he had a very close fight on his last one there, and but he did beat him. And I look, I respect any man that steps through the rope because it doesn't matter who you are, you are putting your life on the line every time you fight in the ring. I mean, look at the people that Jake Paul has fought. You know, any one of those shots could, you know, put a man unconscious and, and potentially give them life-threatening injuries, you know. So any person that's stepping through the ropes and, and putting their life on the line deserves respect. And from me, I'll give them that respect. And I guess I guess where the, the um, again, a lot of the hatred comes from, from some of the fighters and I guess other people's, the disrespect that Jake Paul can sometimes give to the higher-level fighters, you know. Paul Gallon, for example, he's never gone out there and disrespected no one. He's never come out and said he's going to win a world title or do any of the, you know, he's just gone out there and said he's having a crack and then taken to it as far as he can. And he's just given entertainment to the people. He's got a lot of following and, and that's what I like. And he's never disrespected any other fighter, you know, and then you go to the someone like Jake Paul, I guess where the hatred comes is because he, he gets on there and he, and he disrespects people in a way that, you know, can come across um, very bad to other people and other fighters don't like that you know I, I guess but that's what jake paul's doing and, and he's selling tickets so but like i said i, I respect him and he, he's helping fighter pay as well i mean i guess a lot of the time people are just jealous too because of the money he's making from it too and like you said they have dedicated their um you know their life to it but maybe some of these fighters could take a leaf out of his book and, and maybe promote yourself a bit better if you want to get paid more promote yourself better and and work on your social media platform and your youtube and do vlogs whatever you need to do if you want to have that kind of star power that jake paul does put that work in as well on that side as well you you know it's always been the biggest thing and which sucks the best fighters don't always get paid the most you know you, you look at someone like rigando and, and they never really got paid a whole lot of money because they're obviously not overly exciting you look at someone like terence crawford and that they're not huge sellers they don't have big pay-per-view numbers they don't have big sellers and people come watch their fights but they're growing and they're so, but it's just how it is. Sometimes not the best fighter gets the, um, the biggest numbers and that's just a sport. It's about at the end of the day, if you want to get paid more, it's how many bums you can put on seats or eyes on TVs. And I guess that's what it is. Cause you're right. Like, you know, the Jake Paul, he's making millions, right? Where a lot of these fighters aren't. Yeah. Um, and it's the same, I guess, you know, I had um, Tyson Lantry on, I think two weeks ago now. And he was saying his fight against Luke Jackson, um, which I think was on the undercard of um, one of Sue's fights as well. Um, yeah. Which one was it? I think that was against Bowen Morgan. Yeah, the Kiwi guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he said, like, um, he was quite upfront and honest about it. He said, you know, I made 5K for that fight. And you see... see That's up you know, he, he made 5K against, like, uh, Luke Jackson, who's obviously, you know, uh, a former Olympian. He was the Olympic captain. He just uh, came off a, a title fight against uh, Frampton. 
Um, and then you had like Paul Gallen with a guaranteed 400,000, right? And and you kind of go, well, he, yep. he's, he's a football player getting 400,000 and you've got a boxer in, in a pretty pretty hard fight who's getting 5k but but you're right there what what Jake Paul and 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 Paul Gallen do is they bring a new audience and it's exactly that which means more audience more people tuning in more people buying the pay-per-view and and yeah and, and also too I think that was Lantry's first fight on a higher level event you know on a, on a high pay-per-view event so and and obviously too it was kind of his opportunity you know, Lantry was the B-side to me. And, and he was someone who was getting, like you said, the opportunity to fight a Luke Jackson and, and fight these blokes who, who have that star power and on that big card. So, you know, I do hope that he did get paid a little bit more on his next fight. There with Paul Fleming, you know, because he had a good showing against Luke Jackson. So I dare say he would have got a little bit more there. So because he went out and won that fight, you know, against Luke Jackson, who, you know, great name. And like you said, had fought for a while time all that. He was getting the opportunity and um, he wasn't a very well-known, you know, person. Um, but after that fight, he, he would have got a little bit more, I'd say. And, and, he, and he fought someone like Paul Fleming and, you know, obviously he come undone in that fight and didn't get the win. But I guess that was too a big thing on me fighting Tim was because I knew the social media surrounding Tim. I knew the um, uh, the media power around Tim. And I was also, you know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this to my advantage fully, I, you know, and I've... I'm probably one of the most talked about fighters in Australia as well. And and because of that, you know, I seize that opportunity to use that. A lot of these fighters don't know how to get on telly and they don't know how to get on these interviews and how to talk properly and they get on TV. And, and that's what it's about. It's about selling yourself. You know, a lot of these footy players do, um, they do social media training and they, they learn how to talk. And I think that's a big thing of being able to, you know, relate to the public, um, relate to the fans and, supporters and everyone that gets behind it because if you can be someone that people like listening to and you half you sound half smart and you know you can string a sentence together it definitely helps with people you know liking your character and, and getting behind it and that's that's what people sort of latched onto with my fight with jack and and with tim and everything like that and yeah i just try and be myself as much as i can and be confident with what i'm saying and, and relate to people well, I was about to bring up the Jack fight, right? Because uh, I read an article on that, and and basically you were then, f- from then on, uh, known as the uh, the the nicest uh, guy in Australian combats. Yeah. Um, what like did you know what you were going to say going into there, and did you did you kind of <laughs> know that you were going to get that kind of recognition from from that post fight speech? No, I, I was like just amped up. I don't know. I was just amped. I was just saying whatever flowed off the tongue and. You know, it was a. I look back on that interview when they were sharing it for the other. It was just a funny interview. You know, I was just so amped up and just let it all flow away. It was um, it was such a blast that whole card. You know, that was on a gallon undercard and in Wollongong. That was you know my first big big fight on the telly and you know I stepped up a weight division. I just wanted to make a big showing on that one and you know I looked online after the fight about an hour and seen all the you know the posts and that and, and um. Yeah, I don't think I'm definitely the nicest bloke in Australia. I think there's, um, like, in combats, you know, you look at Alexander Volonovsky and that, they're such cool guys, you know, and they're cool to talk to and um, you see the interviews. But, you know, if I can, um, you know, keep being a good person and and people, you know, relate that to me, that's good. You know, I, I like that. And I, and I guess, you know, why the emotions run so wild as well is I, I do believe you were the underdog for that fight as well, right? And, and everyone loves a good underdog story as well. It's... It's funny, the bookies had me as the favourite, but like everyone in the boxing circles had me as the underdog, you know, I was coming up a weight class and everything like that. But yeah, the bookies had me as the favourite. And um, 
all my friends were like saying, damn, we wanted to make some money off it. I said, oh, well, Jack Brubaker is tough as hell. I said, I don't know if I'll knock him out because, you know, I've been knocking everyone out. I said, man, Jack Brubaker's probably got one of the best chins in boxing, you know. And I said to him, if you're going to put something on, put it on me to win on points. So, you know, and a few of them got on some good, I think it was paying like six fifty to win on points or something like that. So a few of them put some, made some good money off me on that one. Nice, nice. But going back to your uh, Tim Sue experience, I guess, as well, um, you know, it was obviously not the first encounter you've you've had with him. Um, I, I, I believe he was actually on the undercard to one of your fights, and and then yeah, yeah, tw- and then there's a um, a, a famous uh, photo now, or it is now, of of you guys posing for a photo together where where you oh, captioned yeah. it re- "Real recognize real." At those points of time, did you ever did you ever look at Tim then and go, you know, he will one day be an opponent of mine, or or at that sort of stage because of the weight classes and stuff did you just like it was not so quickly i did actually think i'd fight tim i thought you know that was straight after the jack brubaker fight that one there you know i seen him down the front row there and i was like oh we'll get a photo and it was pretty cool and i always thought you know standing next to him i was like oh he's not too much bigger than me i was like you know what's what's another weight class that's you know i was thinking so um i did always have in the back of mind that i probably would share the ring with um with tim and it definitely happened way quicker than what I thought, you know. It's it's even one of those things, six days, I would have loved to have had four months to fill out for the weight division, you know, try and, you know, put that size on naturally and correctly yeah, for that weight division. So it is one of those things, mate. But, yeah, I always in the back of my mind thought I was going to fight Tim. And it, it's just crazy how life, you know, another pose, life comes fast, eh? It just comes fast. And sometimes, you know, you talk about the law of attraction and thinking about things like it, it's like – I thought that into existence and it come into the universe for me. So it was crazy how it all happened, but you know, I'm glad it did. I have no regrets on it at all. And you kind of like answered a little bit of the next uh, thing I was going to ask you, which is what was the toughest thing about, about, about that fight? And, and, and I'm not talking about the fight in, in, in general, I'm talking about more the lead up. Um, was, was it the weight class? The fact that you were, was that harder or was it the fact that you took it on such short notice? What was, what was hardest? The hardest thing was knowing that I wasn't going to be fit enough as such because I hadn't even sparred around since Brubaker because I had that hand injury. So I was, I knew my timing was going to be off. I, I knew that I hadn't done any. I just knew I wasn't going to be fit enough. But, you know, I wasn't going to go down there and, and say this to all the and media and that, you know, the, the people want to know someone down there is coming to fight, which I was, you know. The, but the, the hardest thing was mentally, like being, staying up here, you know, and, and Brendan worked with me for the next six days on, building me up slowly, building me up mentally. You know, you can't go down there and train your ass off for five days. Like that's, you can't do that. You're not going to get fit in five days for a fight. Um, so we just, we slowly brought the, um, you know, the legs into work and a little bit of boxing here and there on the pads and stuff and just had to do what we did. But Brendan did a lot of men- mental work on with me and I watched a couple of videos and, and yeah, he, he worked on me mentally on staying above and staying positive on and certain things that will work on the fight and, you know, I think that's a big part of a trainer. You know, it's different on someone who can hold some pads, but a trainer that can work with you mentally and convince you that you're going to win. Like, it was funny. The first day I went down there, I was like, all right, man, this is going to be a big task. I was thinking, fuck, what have I done? And then by, you know, the second day in, a little bit more confident, a couple more interviews on the TV. And, you know, I started to talk my talk myself into the fight, I guess. You know, I was like, yeah, I can do this. And by the, like, the day before the weigh-in, I was like, I'm going to fucking beat him. Like, that was in my mindset. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm down here to win. 
it was crazy. So, you know, mentally I just come up every single day um, and, and by the end of it, I was convinced and Brendan had me convinced I was going to have a, a fair shake at this. So, you know, it, it, like you said, but on the on the physical side of things, yeah, probably the the hardest thing was knowing that I wasn't going to be fit enough. And, um, you know, obviously Tim, when, he, when we weighed in, obviously the same size, but, you know, you hop in the ring, he's probably got eight kilos there probably on me pretty easily, you know. So you start to feel that weight as the rounds go on. So if I built that weight on naturally and not just by in food being a bit chubby because I hadn't been done much training, it would have made a big difference as well. So, But look, it is what it is. And and chances are that he obviously had a weight cut to make that weight and you probably walked onto the yeah, scale, yeah. right? Which, yeah. which, which is that extra weight then come fight night. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you find that taking on short notice fights like that though can help you sometimes as well because it doesn't give you the chance to overthink it? For sure. You know, I definitely, if I was in full training for, say I was in training and, and, and was fit and in shape and you know what, it definitely would have been a whole different fight and I do agree with you because you don't have that, you don't have that, you know, 10 weeks of leading up, you're stressing, your anxiety and all that stuff about the fight. So if anyone says they're not scared for a fight or don't get anxiety, they're fucking lying because, mate, you're about to go in there and, and risk your life and you're about to fight another man who's going to try and knock your ass out. Like, that's some scary things. So, you know, anyone that says they don't get those kind of feelings is lying. We all get it as human beings. It's natural and it's good. You know, you need that for the adrenaline, for the, you know, you become half superhuman on the night because you have those you know, there's flooding of adrenaline and everything through your body. But in another way, though, I know I also train harder when I've got someone in my mind because, you know, like if, if I'm in, in, in maintenance mode, I guess when I'm not in training camp and I've got a date set, you know, I'm not training twice a day all the time. I might train twice a day three times a week because you don't want to burn your body out either. And then when I go into training camp, it's every day, twice a day. So I guess the intensity when I know I have someone to train for is a little bit higher. So I don't know. I guess you don't have that mental side of it about thinking about it every day, but you also do have the mental side of it because you're pushing your body a little bit harder, I believe. So it's a bit of a catch-22, I think, on that one. And and, and you just mentioned maintenance mode versus um, uh, fight camp. What what does your training look like on 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 a regular week? Like, if you were to compare the two, like in fight camp and out of fight camp, how how does it differ? I guess when I'm in fight camp, obviously the sparring is a lot more. When I'm not in training camp, I don't like to spar too much. Like, I'm a big believer on not too many hits to the head and and and, and wear and tear on the body. Like, I don't think if you have a fight coming up, you need to be doing a whole lot of sparring. Um, especially if you've got injuries and stuff like that. Why risk hurting yourself even more? Like I've always had problems with my hands and that, so I try and risk uh, lower the risk of obviously injury and that by not sparring and hitting the head because the head's the hardest part, you know, to hit out of the pads and the bag and everything like that. So, um, but, you know, to me, I just sort of, if I'm, I'm a little bit tired one day or i got something on, I, I might skip that second session and not do it. Or, you know, if the partner wants to go out for dinner or something like that, we go out for dinner or on the weekend we might do something, you know, um, but I do, I generally always try and train every single day. I do train every single day, even when I'm in that maintenance mode and that I try and work on probably strength blocks a little bit more building that strength. Um, uh, but yeah, definitely lower that sparring down, like lower that right down. Um, and then when obviously, you know, training camp kicks off, we up the, up the ante on the spar, we start traveling away. I think traveling away for sparring is a big thing for me. Um, I love that travel where you go to someone else's gym, you have to deal with sitting in a car for two hours, get out of the car, train. Then I head back to Toowoomba, you know, and 
that's all things you got to do with like in a fight, you know, that, that unfamiliar territory where you're going into the ring and fighting someone new. So dealing with that. And I guess just the whole intensity of when you train, you know, you push on the bag, you push one more out, you, you push a few more combinations out. When you're on the track in the morning and in training camp, you're thinking about that bloke when you're running that last 400 meter, you know, it, it just, everything amps up a little bit more because obviously you don't want to get beat. And, and when that alarm goes off at 5 a.m., I'm thinking about not getting knocked out by getting up. So, you know, that's the way I look at it is I need to put those hours in because it's money in the bank. And I have to ask you only because you are a proud, you know, born and bred uh, Toowoomba uh, boxer, um, but also knowing like it is it is pretty regional, right? So when it comes to fight camp and, and, and things like that, is it hard to find sparring partners or is it something that you take your fight camp away from Toowoomba or do you bring people in? How How is that? Yeah, um, you know, it's good being up in Toowoomba here. We, we used to have a huge gym uh, back in the day. You know, we'd have the likes of Lee Sherrington and um, we had Josh Bailey, we had Darren Askew, we had Braid Smith, we had Will Young, three times Australian champion. We had Jack Asses, I don't know him, he... He won the IBO world title against Kai McKenzie back in the day. And, you know, we had, I think we had about 12 or 15 professional fighters there. So it was, it was so good. Um, you know, obviously now a lot of them boys have retired. They've got to father time now and they're all finished. But I would say I'm, I'm probably the, um, you know, the only elite level professional fighter at that gym. So we travel away to Brisbane or Gold Coast um, generally every week, once a week. And then as we get close to the fight, we travel away twice a week for sparring. Um, down there and, and get some good work in there with the boys. You know, we know a lot of the boys around here, like Dennis Hogan. Um, there's boys like Ben Marnie, um, all those bigger fellas, some um, welterweights like Ben Kite. You know, there's, there's some great boys that we you know are only an hour and a half away down the road um, for me to, you know, travel down and spar with. But before my fight with Brubaker, I think about it was three weeks before, we went down to Sydney. I actually went to Tim's gym um, and, and we did a bit of training there. Um, we went to Bondi Boxing Club did some sparring down there. So we spent about a week down in Sydney and got some good sparring and got some good training and just changed up that environment. I think that's important too. It's good to get out of that same atmosphere all the time and sometimes give you a bit of a lift and give you a bit of sprue from that last bit of that training camp where it can get a bit grueling. You know, the last four weeks, you just think, stuff this. just want to fight. Sick of training. Sick of being tired. Sick of being sore. I just want to get it on with this Blake, you know. So those last four weeks can be challenging and, and to get away and get that training in is a big lift sometimes. So, yeah, it was good to get down to Sydney before that fight. But, yeah, we, we try and get away as much as we can for training and sparring. And I guess it's just kind of nice to 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 take you. I mean, I, I feel the same sometimes where, like, just with work or whatever, it's just nice to take away because you leave everything behind, right? Whether it's work, whether it's yeah. family, whatever, you can just focus a little bit more. Um, I mean, look, and, and, and we'll, we'll kind of finish off with, it, with that fight, but... Um, is there anything that surprised you in in that fight? Like, or was Tim everything you kind of expected, or or was was this you know once you felt him like was there more power than what you thought he had, or was he quicker than you thought he might be? Is there anything that kind of surprised you, know you about him? Was it, it probably hit. It probably hit. It's funny because he got me with a body shot and that, and it's like I probably think he hit less harder than what I'd expected to hit. Like I, I expected him to hit a lot harder. Like, nothing to the head ever buzzed me once, never buckled my legs, never, you know, look at the fight with Brubaker. Brubaker actually dropped me, you know, in that first round, he caught me with the right hand, and, you know, dropped me. So, and, and that was good timing, and I just ran onto that shot. Whereas Tim, he never even hurt me with a headshot once. Like, it was not the same sort of power. 
I guess the thing that w- was like shocked me, and it kind of comes into the fact that I wasn't in shape, even my body wasn't hardened, and that I hadn't had the hard sparring anything like that. But the accumulations of the shot, like he's constant, he's on you, like that pace, and and everyone says that, like he's got that pace, and then body shots, holy fuck, man, that left rip. I've never been in so much pain. It was just such a well-placed shot. I was going for my own hook. And as I've gone under, boom, it's just gone under. And it was like that double impact on that body. And, you know, I'd rather get hit to the head all day. A good body shot underneath just, it just takes the soul out of you, eh? Like he's the soul taker. But it just takes that, like that, everything out of your body just leaves you completely and everything. Like it's hard to get like a body shot out of your system. Like it can last with you for rounds after. Like you see... You know, they say putting in that work early for the later rounds, you know, a body shot just doesn't leave you. It stays with you for the rest of the fight. So I guess the accumulation of your shots and the accuracy, he had very good accuracy and um, accumulation. But I wouldn't say his power was like any, like it was um, nothing that I hadn't felt before. You know, Brubaker to me hit harder. So, Well, it was it the liver shot though? Because usually that yeah liver that, left it yeah yeah that because that'll drop you right like and 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 from memory oh yeah. people said to me after oh how's your ribs when I got back to Toowoomba I said oh my ribs are fine I said ribs aren't like that I said it's the liver man I said there's nothing there it's just your liver like it's like someone opening you up and just poking your liver as hard as they can it's just it's a terrible feeling I was just on the ground screaming in pain. <laughs> And, and and the worst thing about the liver shot is always that delayed thing as well, right? And and talking about uh, I know oh, earlier we spoke about Cowboy Cerrone, he got knocked with, with a really good one in his career, and and it's like it's that delayed response because you're waiting for the toxins to release, and and you know oh, it's, like it's you, such you, a weird thing. Eh? It hits you up and you're like I'm good, and then you're like I'm not, and then it just it just like it sinks your whole body, like it just shuts you down. You know, I've actually seen someone go unconscious from a body shot before. Um, they, in our gym, they got hit with the left rip. One of the pros, and he actually went to sleep. You know, like from a left, the pain was too much. His his body kind of just shut down. So I don't know. There's nothing more painful than a body shot. I think it, it just takes you. And then you got that solar plex right up the middle. I don't know if you ever been hit there in that solar plexus. That's another terrible one too. Anything around the body is terrible. And I believe from memory as well, he got you there twice, right? Because I twice, yeah, he got me the first one. Yeah, and then um, moved around for a bit, and I threw that left hook, and, you know, yeah, it was one of the things. I had a little, well, I was fresh and good. I had a little bit of success in the first round. Like, I got to him with some good shots, and even said after, you know, I hit quite hard and got him with some good ones and that. But as soon as the uh, condition kicked in, it was just, um, just couldn't hold him off any longer. So, obviously, you have had words afterwards, and there's, like, a mutual respect and everything, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Tim actually messaged me once, you know, when uh, I had my little boy and he said congratulations on the birth of your baby boy and stuff. And, yeah, look, we, we talk occasionally and, he's, he's mate, he's a, he's a gentleman of the sport and I wish him all the best and I hope he um, I hope he wins a world title for Australia and I'm, I'm sure he will and I'm sure he will surpass everyone's expectations of him. He's a very hard worker and he takes his sport very, very seriously. So, you know, I wish him all the best of his career and he's a, an incredible person and an incredible athlete. And for you, has life changed since since that fight? Like since since that fight now, with more eyes, I guess, on yourself and stuff. Like, has life changed at all? Yeah, to an extent, you know, it is. It is what it is. Like, I definitely have a lot more social media following, and um, a lot more people who know who I am just in the street. Um, you know, but that doesn't change anything for me, mate. I just stay the same humble person I am, and just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, 
you know, it definitely made me a little bit more de- more determined, you know, like I just, you know, stay in shape and, and get back into the gym as quick as I could. Obviously, let my hand hit a little bit more and uh, for a couple of weeks, but yeah, straight back up into the gym. Nice, nice. And I have to follow up on, on Tim's congratulations and congratulate you as well um, on, on, on the birth of your uh, baby boy. Um, yeah. Is it, is it your first child? Yeah, first baby boy, yeah. Yeah, first one. So I, I have to ask, and, and the only reason I ask is uh, my partner right now is is heavily pregnant as well. So we're going through that process at the moment. I, I, well, I actually think it's next week we find out, well, we can find out what sex it is. So we're, we're, we're at that sort of 19, 19 week right now. Yeah. So how is fatherhood tr- treating you? How has life changed since fatherhood? Yeah, like it's one of those things everyone can sort of tell you what it's going to be like and even like the birth and everything like that i think that's probably the biggest eye opener for me like everyone can tell you what it's going to be like and until you're there and in and in in person and, and experience that man i have a new respect for how tough women are eh? like i don't think i could go through it it's a um it's a wild experience and they, they're unbelievable and how they can do that and um you know bring them little humans into the world it's incredible um but life you know life for us has changed completely you know since he's here and it comes it comes definitely more about him than it is yourself and yeah it just um your priorities change and your perspective on the world change definitely and mate they're just amazing when you hold them in there and they're looking up at you it's, it's just a crazy feeling to know you're a father and uh yeah life just changes completely it's an amazing experience it, but you know on the other side I, I won't lie like it definitely puts a strain on a relationship too you know it, it can be very hard um uh, you know my partner she's 19 so she's a little bit younger than me. I'm 25. So it's been a little bit hard for her and, you know, adapting to all of that. So it, it's a big change on both you and your relationship. I think it's important um, when you do have a baby to um, make sure you keep putting time into each other. You know, yes, the kids do come first and that, but, you know, you still have to put time and effort in your relationship. Sometimes you can forget about that and that, that can affect your relationship, I think, as well. Nice, especially when you're taking off to do fight camps and stuff, right? <laughs> you just just pass it on and go. Well, hey, funny I say, you say like, I said to her the other day, I might be heading off to Brizzy in a week or so to do like five or six days down there, and she looked at me and, "What am I supposed to do?" And I was like, "Oh, you can go stay at my family." You know, it, it, I guess it's stressful for them to do it all on their own, and every little bit of help they can get from us is big. You know, um, if I can take him while she's having a shower, having a feed, and try help out as much as I can. You know, that's why when I said I was going away for five or six days, I think she was overly impressed. But anyway, I think she'll come around. See, see, I can't wait. I mean, totally different age bracket to you guys. Um, obviously, I've I've hit forty now, so like, you know, I, it's been a wee minute for me to 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 get the uh, bun in the oven. But like, I I honestly can't wait. You know, like it's it's something that I've kind of prepared myself. Yeah. But I I kind of feel like we're at a different stage in life there too, because obviously you're saying she's nineteen. You know, if if I look at that and 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 sort of go at nineteen, I was probably more thinking about going out with friends and. And, and doing all yeah. that social aspect. So it, it, I, I think it would be a lot tougher for her and, and yourself. I mean, you know, you're still, you're still relatively young. I, I won't say that you're over the hill yeah. just yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see how that constrains stuff as well. It's just purely because you are at that stage of your life. I do have to ask you though, how did you, how did you come up with the, uh, the name of the child? And the only reason is, is that's probably the biggest frustration right now that, 
um, me and my partner are having, you know, trying to trying to figure out how we're going to name name this thing. And I'll say this because we don't know if it's a he or her. Um, but yeah, well, what are some tips you can give me on, on, on to coming up with a good name? It's so funny, eh? Like, you know, with uh, naming your child, you never realize how many people you don't like when you go to name a child. Uh, it's so funny. You go and have a name. You're like, oh, I know an asshole called that. Or I know, so, you know, it was so funny. We're going through so many different names and it's so hard. Hey, we, 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 try, like, we tried for ages and ages on thinking about names. And, I, you know, I wanted, I wanted, I don't know. I got stuck on the letter H. I kind of like the letter H. And, um, you know, I said to her, what about Hector? And she's like, no, not a chance. Hector's an old, you know, I liked um, the name Hector, obviously the fighter and stuff like that. Um, Hector Camacho. and a few other things but i was stuck on h and then i said what about hunter and i liked hunter as well and she um she had a cousin called hunter so we couldn't do that and then we come up with hudson and we were pretty set on hudson which is the name he's got but then my cousin had a baby and called him hudson i was like oh we can't do that and we ended up just setting on a hudson like, oh, we're going to do a hudson and that's what we set it on i guess I don't know it's so hard picking baby names and then one day one will just come to you and it just sticks and, and that's one you enjoy but I was just Googling different names and yeah, it was different abstract names and their meanings and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. See where we've left it at the moment to the point I said, listen, uh, cause I mean, I, I don't know. Did you find out the sex of your child beforehand or did you kind of wait? No, we found out. I, it, when, before we got prayer, I was, I always said that I wouldn't, I wanted to keep that a surprise, you know, and then when she got prayer, I was like, nah, I gotta know. I gotta know. I need to know. <laughs> I was so, like, I can't do it. We need to know what we're doing. So, yeah, we found out. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same. I, I wanted it to be a surprise. I'm like, come on, man. It's a surprise. It'd be so cool. But she was like, well, I'm finding out. And then I'm like, well, if you know, I want to know, right? I'm not going to sit here for yeah. months. And you I'm know what? It's funny. <laughs> yeah, go, go, go. Yeah, if she knows, if she's buying stuff, you're going to be like, that's very girl orientated or boy, you know, you're going to run. You're going to know. But now that we've decided to wait, um, Obviously, as I said, we've got a week now um, until we can kind of get the scan to figure out what what sex it is. I was like, look, I don't even want to talk about names right now until we, because I kind of like my, my whole point with that is like it eliminates half the names, right? I'm like, so let's worry yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah, yeah. Let's worry about it once we find out the sex, because I'm like, I don't want to be worrying about females' names and it turns out to be a boy or vice versa. That we're worrying about boys' names and it turns out to be a female. So I'm like, look, let's just let it sit for a minute and and we'll 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 get to that but speaking of names let's uh, i mean this is a great segue i guess um the viking or i've also um read somewhere it's actually the viking warrior i'm not sure you might correct me there uh yeah i guess that that is like i'm not really fussed on the viking the viking warrior I, I guess the reason behind that was you know i've always liked the canberra raiders and i love i love seeing the stadium you know with the viking clap and i thought man how how amazing would this be on, you know, main event telly and you got, you know, imagine in a stadium, you got 20,000 people doing that for a fighter walking out to the ring that, that, and it just gets me um, so amped and in the zone. And then I feel the closer I walk to the ring, the, you know, the louder the clap, the faster it gets, you just, I feel like I'm preparing for war. You know, you've seen Tyson Fury's walk out in the weekend as he's a Spartan, you know, walking out the ring. There's always been that thing and he was amped to go, you know, I think that's, um, getting your mind set, ready to, you know, when you step into that ring, it's ready for war. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are modern day gladiators. You know, we're getting in there and for blood sport, you know, this blood money, we're getting in there for for, um, for war, for violence. This is what it is. 
And how much thought process goes into the walkouts? Because I know that that's the one thing that I find different between boxing and MMA as well. I mean, I know James Tahuna back in the day tried to do a men in black kind of entrance. Um, and I know Conor McGregor had Sinead O'Connor sing at one of his walkouts. But typically speaking, yeah. it's a song they walk out. But I find that um, whether it's Paul Fleming, uh, obviously with his uh, uh, indigenous dances, uh, obviously... Um, we talk about the the fight that's just happened. You know, they're, they're, it's a spectacle in its own. How, so, how much thought process goes behind uh, boxers' walkouts? Yeah, I, back in the days, there wasn't really any sort of um, focus on it. And I believe, you know, boxing sort of made a uh, it sort of died off there a bit, right? And then when they sort of want to make a resurgence, they needed another spectacle for people to want to watch and people to want to watch on TV. And it is, it gives a spectacle and people sort of, uh, they develop a bit of a liking to a character, you know, they, that's just how people are. But once you can develop an emotional connection with someone, you know, they, they, they'll follow that. And I believe that's what you do. You, you know, before the fight, you go, oh, I like the one who walked out as a Roman or, and then that one goes, I like the one who walks out as a Viking or you look at this one, he's walking out, you know, with his indigenous and I guess that you developing that different talking point and then when people are down in the street they go oh did you see that walk out on the weekend with the fight he, he walked out on on a you know on a chariot or whatever it is you know i guess it just develops another talking point and another spectacle for people to get behind and i think they're exciting and some of them can be really creative and they're great you know i think they're good to watch and i guess also in wilder's case for the the the, the rematch was that it was a built-in excuse for excuses <laughs> Because he because he said that. So how you obviously watched the fight? How 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 did what what did you think of the fight? Um, did you think it played out the way you thought it would? Um, you know, anything surprise you in that fight? Well, the only thing that it played out different was probably Tyson Fury getting dropped twice. I just didn't think he would be getting dropped in this fight. You know, like you look at the second fight he had, and it was pretty much just dominance the whole way through. I just didn't think he'd be getting dropped. I actually put money on Fury to win from one to six. Damn it. You know, I was hoping he'd get it done. And when he dropped him in the third, I was thinking, oh, easy money here. And then, boom, he got dropped the next round twice. And I guess, you know, Wild is just that scary kind of power, eh? Like, it doesn't matter what point in the fight. He can land a half shot. Next minute, the opponent's on the floor. He got wobbly boot. You know, it's he's so crazy to fight. And that's why I think, you know, he's half a chance of beating any other heavyweight in any given day, you know, if he lands that shot. So, yeah, but the fight pretty much played out like I thought it would, you know. Fury just pretty much towards the end dominating. I do think that fight maybe could have been stopped maybe a round early or half a round early. You know, I do. It was only heading one way and Wilder took some big punishing shots in that fight, especially towards the end. You know, he's really getting um, really getting worked over and Fury's not a little man. You know, when you've got someone who's 280 pounds punching you, it doesn't matter how big, big a man you are, it's still going to do damage to your skull and your brain. And those are those are long-lasting sort of um, things on your body. And that last shot there will, you know, that does have an effect on you mentally and, and physically to your brain and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe you didn't need to take those last few shots or not. But, you know, with the excuses that come out on the previous two fights, I think, you know, a lot of people surrounding the fight, his corner didn't want to throw the towel. The referee even maybe in the back of his mind because of the slack that, the, the fact that the other referee got, you know, there's, so there's so many things involved. I guess with the third fight that I guess it played out the way it did. So but I was happy to see Fury win, right? He's, he's definitely a character and I think his story is something that people can relate to, relate to in such a big way and he, he's such a big advocate for that mental health. And yeah, it's just, um, I was so happy to see him get that win.
Uh, likewise, I mean, my, my money was on, on Tyson, and, and it's funny, I, I exactly like you said it, I as soon as he got uh, dropped Wilder, I, I said to a friend, I texted him, I said, here's the beginning to the end. I honestly thought, and and my friend, he was actually going for Wilder, he he, he was like, no, 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 and then Tyson got dropped twice, and he goes, I told you, oh, and, and I was like, oh man, like, I, I, there's some serious problems here. The thing that I guess surprised me yeah, is yeah. I've always said for for a big fella, Tyson moves really well, and I thought he wasn't moving as much oh, as he, he normally does. Incredible. Yeah. You know? His head movement's incredible. He moves like a lightweight. You know, some of those shots, he's ducking under and moving, and he, he was making um, Wilder miss with some big bombs, and I think that's what you have to do with someone like Wilder is make him miss and push up and push the pace like Tyson did, but he just moves... He moves so unconventional for a heavyweight fury, and that's what makes him so awkward for people to fight. And the the, the other thing I love about uh, Fury is, I mean, we're talking about the walkout, but I I, I so look forward to what song he's going to sing once he, right? Like I I, I literally I said yeah. to the girl, I said, Shh. I said, listen, he's going to sing a song. He's going to sing. He's going to sing. <laughs> I don't know what song it is, but that's what I'm here for. I need to hear that song. So it's funny because, yeah. like, obviously it, it's something that he does. But as you were saying about the spectacles and stuff, like, I actually enjoy that, right? I, as I say, I sit there and I'm like, all right, yeah. what songs are going to be? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It creates a talking point. Yeah, sure. And so what do you think is next for both Wilder and, 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 and Fury? Like, what do you see happening there? Because I know... If, for the longest time now, it's been the whole uh, Joshua fight. Um, but now, obviously, that he's lost, that's probably on the back burner and things like that. So what do you, what do you see for both of those fighters? For me, I would, you know, someone like Fury, I would love to see him fight Dillian White. Um, reason being is Dillian White has been WBC mandatory for I don't know how long. I don't know. Like, he's been that mandatory for a lot of time, and he deserves his shot at that title. I think he's the only bloke out of all those heavyweights, who was one of the top guys who hasn't had his shot. So I'd love to see Fury, you know, give, um, oh, I forgot his name again already, um, give Dillian White his shot. Uh, I think he beats Dillian White very comfortably. Um, and then I would love to see Joshua and Usyk fight and obviously the winner take on then Fury for the undisputed heavyweight top. And then I guess you could say, Fury can retire, you know, what else What else does he have to more improve in this sport? He's beat every single top-level fighter of his era, and there's no one else there for him to beat. So, you know, I'd love to see him go Dillian White and then probably just the um, winner of Usyk and Joshua. For Wilder, mate, I, I guess it's a question I've really come back from that. You know, he showed he's got a ton of heart. He's got, you know, the heart, heart of a lion, and, and he, he showed that. But also, too, like I said, those fights take a lot out of you mentally, physically, like... They can really mess you up for a long time, and they're talking that he won't fight till next year. So, I mean, and when you got all that money there too, it's it's a question of do you really want to fight anymore? Do you want to put your health in the line? He is thirty five, I think. So, you know, but if he does decide to fight and he comes back good and he's mentally rejuvenated and his body is, and you know, I think he could go out there and really beat any single one of those top heavyweights. He could he could spark out Joshua any moment. He could spark out Dillian White at any moment. You know, he's just one of those fighters. He's he's um could knock any single one of them out at any point. And same thing with him. His story is his story's amazing. He started boxing because of his daughter had spina bifida and started at 20, I think, something like that. So, you know, a lot of these guys have great stories and I don't think anyone should ever question the fact that they, you know, they're, they're true champions and they have, you know, the heart of a lion when they step through those ropes. And they'll literally give their life in that ring, most of them. So, 
Nice, nice. Well, look, we'll start to round it off a little bit. You know, it's, it, we, we, we've come to that time. I've got a couple more questions, and, and, and then I also had a couple of questions sent in that, that I'll uh, get to you. But um, yeah. so looking at your career thus far, what, what is your favorite fight of yours to date? Favorite fight? I would definitely have to say um, definitely the fight with Jack Brubaker. Um, you know, that was definitely my coming out fight, you know, um, the one where I could really, you know, uh, bring myself out to the Australian public and, and show everyone what I'm made of and, and, and really give a good showing on a good platform there down there. So that was probably my favourite fight. And obviously the team fight in a way because of what I got out of it as well um, from a perspective. But I'd love to one day get that one back. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, what's your... Um... What's your toughest fight to date? Toughest fight is Jack Brubaker as well. Yeah, that was my toughest fight of my career. Um, that was very hard. You know, I felt, even though I stepped up with the weight on that one, I felt the weight with Jack there. He's a tough man. And, you know, I'm normally used to hitting blokes and they're going to sleep. So to hit him and have him keep coming forward and charging all night and Jeff Fennick yelling at him, yelling at me and the crowd and everything, it was definitely yeah, the hardest, but most, I guess, like you said, nothing in life worth having comes easy. That That's a saying that I love. and. It's so true that because it was so hard earned that fight. Like I remember standing up each round and just thinking, "Can't wait to see the finish line." Like it was such a hard fight for me, but it was so rewarding. And and after I um, made a few celebrations, so yeah, it was great. It was great to get that win. Too easy. So now we'll, we'll go to a couple of questions that got sent in. Um, the 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 first one is, and I, I will we'll try to like keep this as short as possible. But like, uh, what what originally got you into boxing? Yeah, I um, was just, um, I'm actually from a little town called Crow's Nest, which is about 45 minutes from Toowoomba, um, small town, a couple of thousand people. And um, I was a little bit of a rat bag. And uh, one of my mates just said to me, I should come down to the local um, recreation center and do a bit of boxing. And I was actually pretty shit at boxing. I used to get belted. I remember my first sparring session, I went home, headache, blood nose. I said, this sucks. I was like, how do people like this? And I used to, I never really used to take it seriously when I was young, young, like 12, I think. You know, I was like smoking cigarettes and that just when I was stupid, young, drinking. And then didn't really, I wasn't really that good at it. And then sort of just started putting more time into it. And, and I guess the coach there did as well. And probably saw the potential that I didn't see in myself and then started to really take it serious. And um, yeah, it just sort of got better and better as it went. And then went to the local PCYC when I was about 14. And that's when I really started to have amateur fights and just got more and more serious as it went. And the, the better I got, the more serious I got with it. So, yeah, I just sort of unlocked my sort of little potential with people who put their time with me and I'm always thankful for that. Beautiful. Um, the next one is, even though you took uh, the, the Tim fight on short notice, did you learn anything from that experience? Yeah, protect the body shot. <laughs> Uh, nah, it's hard, eh? you know, like, it's hard to learn something from a fight like that where you, I wouldn't say I didn't learn anything, I guess it's hard to take a lot away um, in a positive manner, you know, I, I, it was one of those things of, I knew the risk going into it, and I knew what wasn't on my side going into that fight, so I could look at it and go, oh, if these things were on my side, would it have made a difference, or would it have not, you know, I guess also too, Probably my own fault is probably try and stay in a bit more shape, uh, in shape all the time. You know that was my own undoing, and I should have been in a lot more better shape 
all time. So too that e- was probably the lesson there. Too easy. Um, uh, another one is how much sparring do you recommend doing a week to stay sharp? And how much of that sparring is hard sparring? I think it depends too also if you're an amateur or professional. Um, that's a big one. I don't see why amateurs need to do huge, huge rounds to stay sharp. I think they should get in there and do between their three and five rounds sharp, fast, and get out. You know, like amateurs is about how many points you can score. And I know it's changing a little bit more now, but it's about how much you can get done in three rounds. Like after three rounds, that's it. You don't get another chance, you know. And it's one of those things you have to get as much done as possible. So, you know, I wouldn't do any more than three or four in one go if I was an amateur. You know, professional, though, you know, you're fighting longer rounds, especially when you get to your title fights and you fight your 10-round fights and eight-round fights, whereas you can get dropped in the first round. And, you know, that thing with Jack, I thought, that's okay. I'm going to get you back. I've got seven more rounds to get you back, and I'm going to get you back. So when you're sparring for a fight like that, I think, you know, like I said, 10 weeks out, I'm only probably sparring once a week hard um, in the lead-up to a fight. And I'll probably, on, if I'm fighting a 10-round fight, probably spar six rounds. Um, and then probably seven weeks out, I might spar seven rounds. And then probably about six weeks out, I'll probably start sparring twice a week. And then I might start doing six here on a, on a Tuesday or Thursday. Um, and then maybe four weeks out, I'll try and get some good ten, eight to 10 round spars in. So closer I get, the more, more sparring I do. And I want to get that sort of match fitness in. And um, I guess it's important too as a trainer to know your fighter as well um, and not let them overstep the mark. You know, I see some uh, some trainers leave their fighter in sometimes for, for way too long and, and take too much punishment, um, you know, in the sparring session because they should have been pulled out around early. You know, at the end of the day, don't leave the fight in the gym. Sometimes a lot of fighters can leave the fight in the gym and they get to the fight and they've got nothing left. They've done too much hard sparring and they've got nothing for the fight because they've been belted in the gym. So I think it's important to know when enough's enough on a day and, and you go, today's my day. I've and I've had fights where I was two weeks out and Brendan pulled me out after three rounds because it just wasn't my day. I just wasn't having a good day. But I went out there and I won by knockout, you know, two weeks later. So it's not about that day. It's about two weeks' time. It's about peaking for that two-week time. Um, and also, too, when you're, when you're sparring, it, it's about getting the most out of that spar as well. You know, if you, you know you've got a hard spar coming up tomorrow and it's going to be like a fight, you know, it's important that the day before you're not smashing yourself in the gym. You know, you're not doing weights. You're not doing sprints. And, you know, you, then you go into that spar and you've got heavy legs and you're copping all this punishment because your legs won't move or your body's too tired. So in my mind, I'm like, I should have gone a little bit lighter the day before, prep my body for that fight, get the most out of that spa, and then do your strength session the next day or that afternoon or something like that. But get the most out of what you are, and at the end of the day, that's because you're a boxer. So, you know, all that other stuff, running strength, and like, should come second. You know, you should be getting what you need 100% out of that sparring session. Too easy. And then the last one, and I will, this this got a disclaimer to it. This is actually from uh, one of my previous guests, uh, Johnny P., I think he was like on episode five, maybe four, six, somewhere around there. He was very early on in, and, and, and he's a, he's an Australian artist. Um, but he's also had, I think three fights now, uh, in the, in, in the, in the boxing ring and he's written in and he said, uh, would you ever walk out to a Johnny P song? And I don't know, I'd have to listen to a few, I think first, I have to hear what they're about. Yeah. Fair, fair. Tell point. him to I- message me on Instagram. I'll have to have a look. I'll have to message you and have a look and see what they're all about. But I won't say no to nothing, eh? 
Yeah, and, and I guess on that, uh, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass on the message, but I guess on that as well, what goes into the walkout um, the walkout song? Because I know some people have had like one song throughout their whole career, and then you have other fighters that chop and change. Change it up every time. Every, every, well, not every time, but, you know, every every year or two, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll throw a new song. For, for you, what... What goes into, um, I, I, I guess, the song selection? Is it just a mood thing or, or is there more to it? I used to change my walkout song back in the day when I was early on in my pro career. Um, and then once I changed my name to The Viking, I um, had a friend make up a certain walkout sort of clip song and he strung it together with the clap in there. And, and at the start, it's like, who wants to be king? and and I guess we sort of just every time add the drums in a bit different, like the drums will start a bit different. But I have always sort of walked out to that Viking clap as I, I kind of want to build that uh, persona for me with the Australian public. And, you know, they know when I fight, that's what I would love them to do. You know, when the Canberra Raiders walk out there, their horn goes and then they all start clapping as they walk on. And that's what I kind of want for every single one of my fights. So don't know if I'm open to doing it yet or not, but I kind of want to stick to that one for a while and, and keep that clap going. Too easy, too easy. Well, that's that for that. And I guess um, the last one for me is on the 1st of October, you posted fight news coming soon. Can we can we have any sort of a hint to what, what what's going on there? Have, have you got a, a fight coming up? Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm locked in for December 10. That's the date that we're looking at fighting. Um, you know, it's going to be hopefully on a no limit card again. And, um, but, it also, look, we were in talks with someone uh, at welterweight, but, um, you know, it was a big, big fight. And that's why I was willing to go welterweight. I do want to get back to the super lightweight. That's where I feel best. That's where I was knocking everyone out. And I feel like I'm my best athlete myself there and sharpest there. My weight's right. Everything's perfect. So I want to get back to that weight, but I was willing to do this fight at welterweight. It made sense. It was good money um, and the name of the bloke, but... There's been a bit of a stall on that at the moment and, and what's happening. So I got no no freaking news, but I, look, it's it's very frustrating for me at the moment to get a fight at super lightweight. I, you know, a fight I definitely wanted was Darryl Foley, um, but he's out at the moment due to a shoulder surgery. So, you know, hopefully we can sort of make that fight happen in the new year if it still makes sense. Um, you know, I know that's one that fans would love to say. He's put on some good showings on telly and so have I, and I think it makes an exciting matchup. But at the moment, for me to fight a super lightweight, there's very few and far between um, to get an opponent. So, but we're working extremely hard on to get something for December. I'd love to um, get out again and have one more fight for the year. That would make three big fights for the year and um, you know keep the record rolling and um, get me back into the super lightweight ratings as I have fought at welterweight and then super welterweight. So I'd love to get back into that um, super lightweight rating. But unfortunately, no good news just yet, but it won't be long. Too easy, too easy. All right, so before I get you out of here, I'll just get uh, what I like to do um, at the end of every episode is cut, get like a few fight picks. Um, and, and at the moment, obviously, we've got two uh, kind of big fights that are that are coming up with with Australian fighters. The first one is is your previous opponent, obviously, is Tim Su uh, versus uh, Enoy. Uh, originally slated to to be done in Queensland, where, as we spoke earlier on, on the podcast, it's now yeah. looking to either go to Newcastle, Canberra, or Sydney. Hopefully, they bring it to Sydney. That's that's my choice. Um, but how do you how do you see that fight play out? Who's your pick for that fight? I I, I think I can guess, but. Yeah, who's your pick and how do you see that fight play out? Yeah, 
a few people have gone on there and, and, and bagged out the fact that Tim's fighting him. And I think that's rubbish, you know. I think Tim Tim is um, improving every single fight. Um, and he, he can only fight who's available to him as well. You know, yes, he is the mandatory for Brian Castano, but there's so much politics and boxing, um, and it's so hard. He won't get that fight just right now. But, you know, people should understand what Tim is doing and how he's building his career. And, you know, like I said, people shouldn't jump on him gaining that experience. So when he does get that world title fight, he's going to absolutely freaking crush it. You know, he's he's gaining as much experience as possible. Um, and fighting a bloke, like I know, he's a he's a bloody decent fighter, you know. He may be 35 or whatever on box rank, but box rank means shit. It's just algorithms and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, he is rated in the world um, by the WBO and number seven, I think it is. I think that's a very decent fight. You know, he went the distance with Jamie Mungia, incredible fighter, you know, and he gave Jamie Mungia hell for that fight. It was never easy for him. He's a big puncher and couldn't get him out of there. So, I don't know. I, I've thought about this. I think, I think Tim's going to be very sharp. Too sharp for him, but this bloke is like built like a brick shit house, and he just keeps coming forward and forward, which I think could spoil Tim a lot um, if he if he can keep that pace going for the rounds. Um, I believe Tim will be a little bit too sharp for him. I think he wins on points. I don't think Tim will stop him. I could be wrong, but I just don't Tim's don't see Tim stopping this bloke. He's very very tough and very durable, and um, yeah, he's um, beat some good boys. So I think yeah, I think. I'll pick Tim to win on points, but just totally outclass the bloke. Once he gets his rhythm about round four, I think he'll just totally outclass his bloke. Nice. And then the um, the last fight is obviously a fight that was meant to happen. Then, you know, COVID came in the middle. Then it was going to happen again. It changed over. Then the promotion said they don't want it anymore. Eddie Hearn, yeah. I think, has stepped up to the plate. Cambosis versus Lopez. It's finally happening. I'm not sure what date it's happening now, but I, I, I think it is going ahead now. Do you like that fight? How do you see that one play out? And who's your pick for that one? I, you know, I love this fight for Kimbosis. I think, I think this is so incredible, man. He's worked so hard and, and done it the hard way, which is true. You know, he said that um, he can, he can um, have the opportunity here to really make a statement. You know, he's literally fighting for all the world title belts. Like, I don't think any Australian's done that before, or if it has, it's done been a long time. So, I. Kind of sucks he's not getting the media attention he should be, but look, he's a big big name over in the States and he's got a huge following over there in, in Greek and everything like that. You know, it'd be cool to see Australia get behind this man so much more. He's um leading the way at the moment. Um, like I said, fine for the titles. Man, but then you've got a boy in Lopez who's freaking unbelievable, mate. He can he's a banger, eh? He, he's a hard puncher, he can box like all fuck. He um Yeah, he's um it's a tough task for Cambosis, you know, like Obviously, like I said, you know, I'm going to be patriotic here and I'd love to see Cambosis go out there and um, get the win. And I know sometimes he can be very aggressive in the ring, which I hope he's not too aggressive out there and does it very smartly against uh, against Lopez because he's too aggressive. You could definitely run onto a shot. You know, you look at Richard Comey, you know, in that second round, got big, huge right hand. You know, you can't deny it. Lopez is um, a special talent, obviously beating Lomachenko as well. Look, it's hard. Like, I... I I'm gonna, my heart. I'm gonna pick the Aussie, but if I was putting money on it, I had to put my house on it. I would, I would pick Lopez for the win here, just because I, I believe that he's too big and too strong for Cambosis. But man, I hope Cambosis proves me wrong, and I hope he proves everyone wrong because I'd love to see that Aussie bring them all back to Australia. That would be huge for us all. So 
I hope we all um, tune in for Cambosis on that fight and really get behind him on that one. It's massive. I agree. And um, look, I, I, I would put money on Cambosis because my the way I bet, this is, it's the most ridiculous way of betting, is literally I pick the underdog and I put money on it. The only difference is I would never put the house on it, right? Like, But I, I, I just yeah, always say... Yeah, never put the house on it. I, I, I always I say... I don't think like, this is... I don't think the missus would appreciate that too much anyway with the baby on the way, mate, if you bet in your house. <laughs> exactly. But I always say I love a good underdog story and there's just more value in, in an underdog bet, but I have to keep the sure. limits on yeah. there, right? I have to, but, and, and it just takes the emotional attachment out of it. Like I, I literally, I look at the odds, I go, who's the underdog and I'll put money on that person, right? And that way I'm not overthinking on, on, on who I truly, because the amount of times I've like thought about it and then like I'll end up losing and I'm like, damn it. Like it, it was my heart, yeah. you know, my heart got into it. And, and, it, and it really hurts. But look, we'll, we'll call it uh, an end there. Um, I, as I said, like it's, it, it, it's, it's been good. <laughs> I, I, just so people know, we had a bit of a misunderstanding at the very beginning. Um, you know, we, we, we said we'd jump on at a certain time, not realising that uh, Sydney and, and, and Queensland... What is the time? Is it an hour difference? Um, I think so. What, hang on, what is, what is the time? It's one thirty-nine right now. So I think, yeah, it's probably, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's an hour. Well, it'd be an hour. Yeah, yeah an hour it, difference, yeah. It's an hour. So um, I, I, I thought for a minute, you know, you uh, left me at the altar and, 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 and I was left stranded <laughs> and I was like, but then you text me, I was like, I think I know what's happened here. Yeah, I think I know what's happened. I think the time difference. Well, I was eating was, me steak. I was thinking, oh, shit. Well, that was the thing. Right? I, I was kind of like, has he has he like left me stranded? But then I was like, no, he responded to the text. Like, if anything, then you wouldn't respond to the text. So I was kind of like, I was just confused. Yeah. And then, as I said, I sat there for 20 minutes and then I sat there for half an hour and I was kind of like, maybe I should just touch base once again because I was just like, yeah, I'm sure it was like today. I'm sure I got the right time, but like just in case there were wires crossed and then obviously you said, oh, I'm on Queensland yeah. time. And I was like, I, I never even thought of that. I never once thought about it. like, and the only time I've had that is obviously when I've had American guests on. Then obviously you do have to really work on on yeah, yeah. on time zones. And I guess uh, talking about Johnny P, when 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 you're in Perth, there's a time zone. But I just being on the east coast, I just I didn't even think about the Queensland uh, New South Wales uh, time difference. Didn't even think. Yeah, so, I always forget about it. Too, yeah. So as I say, my mistake. But listen, mate. Um, for for people that kind of want to reach out to you and 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 um, you know, follow your journey and 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 hopefully see some fight news come soon. Um, what what's kind of the best way of people getting in touch with you or, or following your journey? Yeah, definitely. People can jump onto my you know Instagram page, which is Stevie the Vikings Park. Um, also too on Facebook. I have a you know Facebook fan page as well as on there, which is obviously the same Stevie the Vikings Park. You know. And on my Instagram, you know, anyone's welcome to message me and reach out and have a chat. You know, I love chatting to people as well on there about questions and stuff to have. Um, I also sell Viking merch as well. You know, I'd love for love to see people in the crowds there. You know, when I travel away, um, you know, you see that Viking merch in the crowd, it's pretty cool. So, you know, I also sell that where I can post it out and that. But like, I'd love for people to sort of get behind me and support me. And you know, obviously, my aim is to win a world title. So, as much as people can get behind me in this sport, would be bloody amazing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. And on that note, man, I, I can't thank you enough. As, as I said, I really do appreciate the time. And especially for, as I said, episode number 50, that's a milestone to me. Um, I hope that people do get behind you. Um, you know, you, you you really put on some really exciting fights. Um, and, and, you know, your, your last one, as I say, was a gutsy effort, like to jump in like that. And, and as you said, like you're doing it for all the right reasons. 
Um, I really love that about you. And uh, yeah, man, I, I, I wish you all the best. Uh, for people who don't know what the Viking Clap is, I guess if they go on YouTube, they, they should search for Canberra Raiders um, intro or something like that. I'm sure it'll be up there somewhere. Hopefully we'll get a few people cl uh, clapping the next entrance. And um, on that note, man, I can't thank you enough. And uh, for everyone else, stay blessed. I'm away. I'm away.